Well, happy Easter to everybody. Good to have you all here this morning. I want to start today with a survey. How many of you never allow your gas tank to go below half a tank of gas? Like you're really paranoid. Yeah, you never allow it. Yeah, a couple of you. How many of you never allow it to go like below a third of a tank of gas? Like that's when you start to get worried is like a third of a tank of gas. How many of you are like, man, I let that baby run dry. I'm like coasting in to the gas station on fumes. Most of the time. Wow. Wow. I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I, I don't know what to think about you guys this morning. <laughs> Just coasting right on in there, right? For, for everybody here today, how many of you ever run out of gas? Which this, I shouldn't even have to ask this question. If most of you are coasting in, how many of you run out of gas before? You ever done that? You ran out of gas? I only had it happen once. I was just uh, maybe late teens, early 20s. I was in a strange town. It was a freezing cold February day and ran out of gas. Man, that is miserable when you run out of gas like that. But, you know, most of us don't run out of gas like all the time. Like it's not a consistent uh, type of thing. And it's funny because we don't run out of gas with our car, but yet with something much more important like our lives, oftentimes we're running on fumes, aren't we? We're, we're just sort of barely making it by. And so that's why today we're starting a brand new series that's called Empty. And over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to look at is things like an empty wallet, empty relationships, empty promises. And what do you do about those things? But today I want to start with the greatest event in all of human history. It's that Jesus, not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but then he rose again from the dead. Again, this series is called Empty, and the good news of Easter is that the tomb was empty. Amen? It was empty. And that's great, great news. Now, for us to call ourselves followers of Jesus, to call ourselves Christians, what that news means is this. We believe that that is the way that our sins are forgiven. It's because Jesus loved you so much that he, he died for your sins. He rose again from the dead. So we believe that, that your sins can be forgiven because of the resurrection. But we also believe this. That's the only way you can make it to heaven. It's because of the empty tomb on that day. Now, I realize that some of you are here today and you're a little skeptical of that. That, you know, Jesus is the the way that we would be able to get to heaven. But what I want to do this morning is give you just a couple of things for you to consider so that hopefully you can make an informed decision for yourself. But before we get to that, I know some of you are going, why does it even matter? I mean, don't all religions basically teach the same thing? Don't all paths eventually lead to God? And the answer to that is no, they don't. It, it, it doesn't work that way. And a lot of people have a real problem with that because we live in a very inclusive society today, don't we? Where like every thought, every idea, every lifestyle, every religion, we're so told it, look, it's equal. It's all valid. But here's the problem. Jesus said, no, it's not. You can't just live however you want to live. You can't just believe whatever you want to believe. This is Jesus who says this. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus, he, he's sort of controversial. And what I mean by that is this. People don't have a, a problem with like believing in God in general. 
like a, a higher power. I mean, I, I, I usually don't run at anybody that, that has a problem with that concept. But once you bring up the name of Jesus, then people get all bent out of shape. And it's sort of funny because most people, they believe that Jesus existed. So that, that's not what they get bent out of shape about. You know, most people, even the skeptics, they're like, yeah, we still believe that Jesus was at least a historical figure. And many people love Jesus' teachings. I mean, who doesn't want to help the poor, help the widow, help the orphan? Who doesn't want to learn how to truly love their neighbor, to learn how to forgive those that have hurt you? I mean, those are good teachings. Where people get all bent out of shape is the very exclusive claims that Jesus made about himself. Let me give you an example. One of Jesus' best friends was a guy by the name of John. And John, after Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection, he just goes back and he, he's a, he was an eyewitness to all this. And he, along with some others, they just started writing down, here's what Jesus said, here's what Jesus did. And so John, at one point, he's recounting this encounter that Jesus had with another one of the followers, a guy by the name of Thomas. And Thomas had come to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what's the way? How, how do we get to heaven? How do we know the way? And Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus answered him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now notice that last sentence there. Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except through me. He doesn't say no one can come to the Father except through me or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or whoever else you want to believe in. He says no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes this very, very exclusive claim that only he can unlock the gates to heaven. Now again, people object to this all the time. They go, Gilbert, you can't tell people that. That all these other religions are wrong, that, that Jesus is the only way. That's not being very inclusive of other people's beliefs and thoughts. But listen, your argument isn't with me. Your argument is with Jesus. Jesus is the one that's making this claim that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But again, people object all the time and, and they're like, but come on, Gilbert, oh. All religions basically just teach the same thing. I mean, all paths basically just lead to God. That's what people believe. But let me debunk that really quick. Did you know that in Buddhism, they don't even believe in any gods? Christianity, Islam, Judaism all believe that there's one true God. Whereas Hindus believe that there are millions of gods. Now, you can believe in any one of those religions, but you can't say that they all teach the same thing. Some say no gods, some say one god, some say millions of gods. I'm just talking about a couple of them. There's 23 major world religions. Or how about this? Some of them say there is no such thing as sin. Others say that there is such thing as sin. And the ones that say that there is sin, some say that there's nothing you can do about it. Some say that you got to try to work and, and, and get your way out of it. Others say, no, there's nothing you can do about it. That it's only by grace that you can be saved. So again, you can believe one of them. You can believe, you know, whatever. But you can't say that they're all teaching 
the exact same thing. Some of them say that life is something to be escaped, while some of them say life is something to be lived eternally and abundantly. Again, not saying the same thing. You see, in the same way that 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 5 and 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 72, there can only be one right answer. Well, it's the same way when it comes to religions. There can only be one true religion, only one right religion. Because again, they say so many different things. They can't all be equally right and equally true. Only one can be right. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of things to consider about Jesus. Because again, Jesus is the one that said, I'm it. I am the true religion. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, just a couple things for you to consider. And, you know, I don't care how you were brought up, what, you know, religion you were brought up in, what denomination you were brought up I don't care about that. Today, I just want you to consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider our church, you know, did you like the music? Did you like the people out in the lobby? I'm not asking you about any of that. Consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider a denomination. Just consider Jesus. Not even asking you to consider other Christians that you may know. Because let's face it, a lot of Christians are pretty messed up. Don't point to anybody right now, but you know know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm not even asking you to consider me because as much as I want to be a perfect example of Jesus to you, I can't. So don't consider anything else. Just consider who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, what he did, the impact that he had on others, and the eyewitness accounts that people had of his life. That's what I want you to consider. So here's the first thing. I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. If you're taking notes, consider the ministry of Jesus. In other words, why did Jesus come to the earth? Who did he come for? How did he treat the people that he lived around? Well, the answer to that is actually found in Scripture in Mark chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. It says this, When the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him, meaning Jesus, eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? Jesus heard them and he answered, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to do what? I came to invite sinners. I came to invite sinners. I love that. You know why? Because this is a verse for Gilbert. This, This verse speaks to me. It's saying that Jesus came for me. You see, you may see me up here today as a a pastor, and you may think that I have it all together, but I don't. I didn't actually become a follower of Jesus until my early 20s. And before that, I did all kinds of things I'm ashamed of, things I wouldn't even want to say and mention from this stage. And what this verse is saying is that Jesus didn't come for the people that had it all put together, for the people that are perfect, that have it all right. Jesus came for people like me. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate here this morning that there's some things in, in your life that either happened in the past or are currently happening right now that you're just not happy about. 
and you think that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. But the good news of this verse is that Jesus came for you and he came for me. He came for sinners, not people that have it all put together, not the people that are clean, not the people that are holy, not the people that are righteous. He came for you and I. That's the ministry of Jesus. He came for sinners. Now, not only was that a part of his ministry, that that's who he came for, but then you can't help but to, to read through the, the eyewitness accounts of what Jesus was doing on the earth and not be blown away by the miracles he was doing. I mean, here's a guy that he was, he was given a sight to the blind. The deaf were able to hear, the lame were able to walk. Jesus was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. He takes five loaves and two fish and he multiplies it and feeds thousands. He turns water into wine. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. That was part of the ministry of Jesus. And here's what you need to understand. The people in Jesus' day and time, they didn't doubt the validity of his miracles. They just wanted them to stop. In other words, they didn't say, hey, these miracles aren't really happening. They were saying, by what power is he able to do this? Now, we know today that the power that he had was the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God was enabling him to do all these miracles, to, to heal the sick and the blind and the lame, and, and you name it. It was the power of God. Here's the good news for you and I. That same spirit, in fact, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives inside of us as followers of Jesus. And so the ministry of Jesus, the, the miracles still continue to this day through his people, through his church. You know, as I look out at this crowd, I, I know many of you. And if, if we had time and, and I allowed people to, you know, to sort of come up and just one by one by one by one just sort of give their testimony we would hear dozens and dozens of stories of people saying, you know what, here's who I used to be before Jesus. But then I came into a relationship with Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's who I am today. I used to be this way, but Jesus changed me. And now I'm a brand new person in Christ. The ministry of Jesus still continues to this day. Addicts would come and say, you know what? I used to be addicted, but now I've been set free because of Jesus. People would come forward here today and they would say, you know what? My marriage used to be in shambles, but then I met Jesus and now our relationship is strong. People would say, you know what? I used to have a problem with anger, envy, bitterness, rage, you name it. And they'd say, but because of Jesus, once I met Jesus and experienced the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, now I'm a brand new person in Christ. Again, dozens and dozens of stories that I could have people just come up and share with you how Jesus has changed them because of his ministry. So that's the first thing I want you to consider. Here's the second thing. I want you to consider Jesus' empty tomb. Consider the empty tomb. You know, today we could go to Sri Lanka and visit the tomb of Buddha. We could go to Kwafu, China, and visit the tomb of Confucius. We could go to Medina, Saudi Arabia, see the tomb of Muhammad. We could go to Nauvoo, Illinois, and see the grave of Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the Mormon religion. We could go just up the road a couple hours to Pittsburgh and see the, the gravestone of Charles Russell, who started the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
we could go there, we could dig up their graves, we could go into those tombs, and you're going to find a skeleton, a dead body. But we could go to Jerusalem today to the tomb of Jesus, and guess what? He's not there, it's empty. And that's the good news of what Easter is all about, that the tomb of Jesus is empty. Now, you may be asking, how did that happen? Why is it that his grave is empty and all the other world religion leaders, their graves have skeletons in it? And the answer has to do with all those other world religion leaders, they were just human beings like you and I, made of flesh and bone. They were sinners, just like us. But you know who Jesus was? He wasn't just the man. He was actually the God-man. See, God loved us so much that he himself came to the earth, took on human flesh and blood in the person that we call Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life that you and I could never live. And then he died on the cross for the life that you are living. But see, death couldn't hold him down because he was God. He is God. And he rose again three days later, victorious over the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over even death. That's good news for us here this morning. Jesus has the power over everything. He died so that our sins might be forgiven. You know, that's part of what made him so controversial in his day and time was he was walking around saying, I'm God. He was walking around going, I have the power to forgive your sin. He was walking around going, I'm not afraid. Go ahead, kill me. I'm just going to come back to life three days later. Now, to be honest, During Jesus' earthly ministry, his family, his friends, even some of his followers, they were pretty skeptical of that. I mean, they wanted to believe, but think about it. What would it take for your family member or your friend to convince you that they're God? It'd take a lot, wouldn't it? I'll tell you what wouldn't help. That is getting arrested and then beaten to a pulp and then nailed to a cross and then they go to your funeral and they go to your grave see that you're buried. That wouldn't help your cause in convincing them that you're God, or them convincing you that they're God. You know what would help? Three days later, they go to visit your grave again, and you're not there anymore. And not only are you not there, but now you appear to them and show them that that you're alive. They've gone, okay, yeah, I've Pretty convinced you're who you said that you were. You really are God in the flesh. And that's the good news. That's what happened that very first Easter. The tomb was empty. Jesus appeared to his followers, his family, his friends. He said, here I am. Here I am. I'm alive. And again, when we read the Bible, this is actually eyewitness accounts. In the New Testament, eyewitness accounts. This isn't people that wrote like thousands of years later or hundreds of years later about, well, there was this guy, you know, once upon a time there was this man named Jesus and he had a blue ox named Babe and stuff. No, it's, it's not that, right? This is them saying, look, I was there. I saw him die. I watched him be buried, but then he rose again and I saw him alive and well, and that transformed his followers' lives. Think of a couple people like, uh, like Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. 
And just days before Jesus, uh, uh, or uh, the, the night before Jesus' death, Peter actually denied that he even knew Jesus. Because Peter knew that Jesus was about to die. And Peter's like, they may kill me too. I don't want to die. And so when he was asked, do you know this Jesus guy? Three different times he says, I don't even know the guy. I mean, he doesn't just say, I'm not one of his followers. He says, I don't even know him. That's how scared Peter was. But then Peter encounters the resurrected Jesus. The tomb was empty, and Peter sees Jesus, and it so transforms his life that he stands up before the very people that just days before he was scared to death of, and he says this in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. He says, you killed the author of life, but God brought him back to life again. And John and I are witnesses of this fact, for after you killed him, we saw him alive. Again, he says, we were eyewitnesses to this. You killed him, but now he's back. Now, through the years, people and, and skeptics have had many different like, solutions of, okay, well, why was the tomb empty? They don't want to believe that Jesus really is God and that we have to follow what Jesus said that we should be following. So they, they try to come up with all kinds of things. So some people say, okay, well, the tomb was empty because the, the Romans stole the body. They hid it. But that doesn't make a bit of sense at all. Because the Roman Empire was ruling the then known world, and all of a sudden Christianity starts to rise up in power. The Romans would have liked nothing better than to say, no, 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 look, here's the body right here. We, we have the body. Look, look, we can show you. Here, here it is. So again, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. So some people say, well, okay, if it wasn't the Roman guards and the, the Romans that did it, then it must have been Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples stole the body. But the Romans were so afraid that that was going to happen, because again, Jesus had made this claim that you can kill me, but three days later I'll come back to life. The Romans were so afraid of that that they actually had armed guards standing guard at the tomb to make sure that nobody could get in. So to believe that the disciples stole the body, you have to believe that the disciples came up with this plan that these sort of untrained guys, these disciples, overpowered these trained Roman guards, stole the body, and then convinced the Roman guards, shh, don't tell anybody we did this. Again, that doesn't make any sense. So you're going, well... What if they bribed them, though? Maybe they gave them money. But here's what you need to understand. There, there's two problems with that. The first one is this. The disciples were poor, uneducated, very ignorant. In fact, the, the actual Greek word that's used is idiotes, which means idiots. I mean, that, that was the disciples. They were a bunch of idiots. They didn't have the money to, to bribe the Roman guards because they would have taken a lot of money to do this because the Roman guards... If they got caught, they would have been executed themselves. Here, here's the other thing that you need to understand about the disciples. And that is what happened to their lives after they encountered the resurrected Jesus. A little, little quiz here this morning. How many disciples were there? How, how many of you know? How many disciples were there? Twelve disciples, right. One of them, Judas, was the one that had betrayed Jesus. 
That's why Jesus gets arrested and ultimately crucified. Judas feels so bad that he did that that he actually went out and hung himself. So he had committed suicide. So that leaves 11 disciples left. Another one of the disciples, John, who, again, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of this. And if you guys were around a couple months ago, we did a series on the book of Revelation called The End. We talked a lot about John because he's the one that wrote the book of Revelation. But who remembers, where did John write the book of Revelation from? Prison, right, an island prison. John, after he encountered the resurrected Jesus, he is not only traveling throughout the, the Mideast there, but he's also going up into Europe. Sharing the good news that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead so that your sins can be forgiven. Well, the Romans got so upset with him that they locked him up on this island prison, and that's where he ended up dying. So essentially, he gives up his life. It's a life sentence. You know what happens to the other ten? Every single one of them became a martyr. Now think about that. Are there people in your life that you would give up your life for? You, that you would die for? Is, is there people you would die for? Probably, right? A spouse, a family member, a friend, your kids. But would you give up your life for someone if you knew that it was all based on a lie? Probably not, right? I mean, it's one thing to die for somebody, but it's another thing to perpetuate a lie and die for it. I mean, you'd have to be pretty crazy to do that. What I'm sharing with you this morning is Judas had hung himself. John ends up in a life sentence in prison for his belief that Jesus rose again from the dead. The other ten all died because of their belief that Jesus really had risen from the dead. Now, maybe... You could say, well, one or two of them could have like sort of died for a lie. But not all ten. I mean, eventually one of them, you know, because not only did they die, they got tortured first, then they were killed. You would have thought that one of them, if it was a lie, would have said, okay, 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 we made the whole thing up. But they didn't. Every single one of them was brutally tortured and told, stop teaching about this Jesus. Stop telling people that he's God. Stop saying that he has the power to forgive sin. But they're like, no, we're not going to deny him because we were eyewitnesses. We saw it with our own eyes. He died, he was buried, but now the tomb is empty. One by one by one by one, they all died for that belief. That's one of the most powerful uh, proofs that we have that this really did happen is that these eyewitnesses so believed it that they died for that belief. I think my favorite story out of the 10 is a guy by the name of Thomas. Now, for those of you that have been around church maybe for many years, how do we usually refer to Thomas? By what nickname? Doubting Thomas, right? And why is he called Doubting Thomas? Well, it's because he was actually the last of the disciples that Jesus appeared to. So he had heard the rumors from the other disciples that they're going, hey, um, Jesus is back again. And he's like, come on, guys. It's this candid camera. You know, what, what's going on? He, he can't be back. He, there's no possible way. So he, he gets this moniker that he's doubting Thomas. 
But eventually Jesus does appear to him. And Jesus says, look, touch the nail prints in my hands. Thomas is able to see that Jesus really is alive. And the only thing he can say is, as he drops to his knees, and raises his hands, is my Lord and my God. He recognized who Jesus was. And Thomas was so gripped by that. He was so changed by it that he not only goes throughout the the Middle East sharing the good news, he ends up in India sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we know from historians that Thomas ends up converting thousands and thousands and thousands of Hindus. And eventually the Hindu leaders, they come and they're like, look, If you don't stop preaching about this Jesus guy, we're going to kill you. But he kept preaching. And they're like, look, we're serious. Stop preaching about Jesus. Stop telling people that he was God. Stop saying that he has the power to forgive sin. Stop telling people that he rose again from the dead. Stop telling people that he is the only way that you can make it to heaven. Thomas keeps on preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching, and eventually they arrest him. And they torture him. And on December 21st, in the year 72, they drove a stake through his body. He died because he was an eyewitness that the tomb really was empty. That Jesus was alive. The other nine, they all died because they were eyewitnesses that the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive. John gave up his life into prison because he was an eyewitness that the tomb was empty, that Jesus truly was alive. And so today, consider the ministry of Jesus, consider the empty tomb of Jesus, then one last thing, consider the eternal message of Jesus. You know, we talked about a little bit uh, today and, you know, what all the world religions are about. But the real question is, why does any religion, including Christianity, why does it even exist? And the answer is this. Every religion is trying to answer, how are you made right with God? Well, as Christians, here's what we believe. Uh, There's a, a guy, his name is Paul. And Paul, after Jesus rose again from the dead and Christianity sort of took off and the church had gotten established, Paul hated Christians. In fact, he was actually murdering Christians. But then he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and it transforms him. And so Paul's story is this. Paul goes from, I used to be a murderer of Christians, then I met Jesus, and now today, and you know what Paul's today is? He ends up writing 13 books of the New Testament. We are sitting here today because Paul took the gospel to the then known world. That's Paul. So he's another eyewitness of Jesus rose again from the dead and the the power of Jesus' ministry and the the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Here's what he says in Romans 3.22. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. How are we made right with God? What does he say? By doing what? Placing our faith 
in Jesus. Notice he doesn't say anything about you being a good person. He doesn't say anything about you stop cussing. He doesn't say anything about stop yelling at your kids. He doesn't say anything about you having a better marriage. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, you are made right with God by simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus. See, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned. It doesn't even matter how messed up your life is right now. You're made right with God, not because you're perfect, but because Jesus was perfect. And again, he lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross in payment for your sins, my sins, the sins of all mankind. That's how we're made right with God, simply placing our faith in that very, very basic belief. And this is what makes Christianity different than every other world religion. Every single other one says this. Here's what you need to do to get to God. Christianity is all about what God did to come to you and make things right with you. See, other, every other world religion is spelled do, D-O. It's about what you need to do to be made right with God. Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E. It's about what's already been done for you on the cross. It's not about you being a good person. It's about what Jesus did for you. Now you're going, shouldn't we be a good person? And the answer is yes. But you do that out of gratitude to Jesus that you are saved, not because you're trying to be saved. And so today I asked you to do a couple things. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the empty tomb of Jesus. And consider the eternal message of Jesus. And I think that leaves us really with only one logical conclusion. And that is to accept the love and the grace, the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus. I'll conclude today with two verses for you. The first one you may be familiar with, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever does what? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now you're saying, okay, what does it mean to believe? Well, look at what Paul says in Romans 10, 9 to 10. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Easter experience that we've been able to experience together. Jesus, most of all, we thank you that you loved us enough that you came to the earth and, and took on human flesh and blood. And then you lived a perfect and sinless life on the cross. And, or, uh, you lived a, a perfect and sinless life and then you died on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. Lord, I, I pray that your spirit has been speaking to hearts and minds here this morning. That you've been convicting people of sin and you've been convincing them of your truth of your righteousness, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through you. Lord, I pray that we've truly considered your ministry. Your ministry that you came not for the healthy, but for the sick. You, you came for sinners. To consider your, your miracles and the, the miracle working that you still do in hearts and lives today. 
Lord, I pray that we've been considering the empty tomb and everything that we talked about with that and the eyewitness accounts of so many people that said, I saw him buried, but then I saw him alive. And Lord, I, I pray that we've been considering your eternal message. That you have the power to forgive sin. And that we're only made right by coming into a relationship with you, by placing our faith and trust in you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never asked him to come in and be the leader of your life, and you want to know that you're right with him, that if you were to die today, that you would spend all of eternity with him in heaven. If you've never done that before, would you just raise your hand up nice and high? I'll acknowledge it, and then you can put it back down. Anybody here today, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I'm trying to, I'm tired of doing life on my own, trying to just do my own thing, trying to work my own way to heaven. Jesus, forgive me, make me whole, make me right. In the same way that others have been transformed and they have a story of here's who I used to be, but then I met the resurrected Jesus. Now here's who I am today and it transformed my life. If that's the story you want, just raise your hand up here nice and high so I can see it today. Anybody here today? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life, make me whole, give me a fresh start. If you're sitting here this morning and your heart's beating really, really fast, that's the Spirit of God that's convincing you that you're the person. You need to, you need to pray and, and ask for His forgiveness. So one more time, one last opportunity. Anybody here today? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. I want a brand new start. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross so that my sins might be forgiven. Thank you that you prove that by rising again from the dead. I believe because of these eyewitness accounts that saw it happen. Their lives were transformed. Now I want my life to be transformed as well. Send your spirit to live in me. To lead me. To guide me. To direct me. All the days of my life. I give everything to you. Out of gratitude. For what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that. Thank you for the young lady that has prayed and asked you for your forgiveness and your leadership. I just pray that transforming work would happen in her life, that she would never, ever forget this day. And Lord, I'm sure there's others here this morning that maybe are still wrestling through this whole thing, that they're not quite ready to make a decision for you. Lord, I pray that they would investigate your claims that they would take some of these things that we looked at today and, and just continue to research it for themselves to see, is this true or not? Is Jesus truly the way, the truth, and the life or not? 
And the Lord, your spirit would continue to convict and convince of your righteousness. Father, we thank you for, again, who you are and that you loved us enough that you sent your one and only son to die for us. Help us never, ever to take that for granted, but help us to live with an attitude of gratitude all the days of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.